Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I don't always understand why people have such a difficult time with that, but then the realization kind of kicks back up into my brain that oftentimes you're dealing with people who don't actually see the Bible as the Word of God. They look at it as purely as like a, a historical book. It's a historical book that is somewhat accurate, is what they would say. When I approach the Word of God, I approach it as the spoken Word of God. Like it came from Him. Is the Bible a history book or the spoken Word of God? As you listen to today's message from Pastor James, he teaches that some people don't even believe that God's Word is real, and it's just a book full of stories. Within the Bible are real events that took place, and with real people. Pastor James will also assure us that the Bible is indeed the inspired Word of God. The living Word has been given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So receive all of the goodness and truth that God has for you in His Word. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Daniel chapter 7, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Daniel chapter 7. It says earlier during the first year of King Belshazzar, Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, push pause there, context wise, we know that Belshazzar was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar ruled and reigned. He was a very powerful king, accomplished many, you know, great things, so to speak. And then he died, and then his son and his grandson kind of co ruled once he left this planet. So it's in Belshazzar's reign, during that first year of Belshazzar's reign, is when Daniel has this vision. It says, uh, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. So just some cool things that I like here. Number one, if you're looking for, well, where does this happen? It happened in Babylon, but more specifically, it happens in Daniel's bedroom. And really specifically in his bed. So there he is, maybe trying to go to sleep, or maybe it's the middle of the night, and he's given this dream, it says dream and visions, plural. So there in his bed. What I kind of like, and this is me being speculative, but maybe on his nightstand, he's got a little notebook. He's got a little notebook, because he gets weirded out by this dream. And he's like, I better write that down, (laughs) right? So wisdom would say for you and I, there should be two things on your nightstand. And as I'm thinking right now, there's one of these is missing and I got to fix that. But I, I was taught that, you know, you need to have, you need to have a Bible open in your house somewhere. Okay. Ideally have it by your night. If you have like a nightstand by your bed, have a Bible, have it open by your nightstand. Cause if it's open, you're more prone to read it. If it's closed, you're more prone to ignore it. But if you actually open it up, And I catch myself doing this all the time because I'll strategically put a Bible somewhere in my house where I'm walking by, I see it open and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to sit down and read this thing. And so it's like, I don't know if it's a mental thing or what, but strategically place your Bibles open within your house. All right. I think the reason why mine's not by my nightstand is because I put it in the kitchen on the little bar stool because I can get my cup of coffee in the morning and I don't bother anybody. Right. So um, I need light to be able to read. So 
That's where mine is. The other thing I would have is a notebook. Have a notebook. Now, whether you like to journal or not, that's up to you. There's tremendous benefit in journaling, okay? And that's not even like a church thing. That's like a scientific thing. There's tremendous benefits for your brain and your heart, both physically, chemically, and all that good stuff of journaling, writing stuff down. It does wonders for you. More specifically, when you journal, when you're reading through the Word, and and maybe your journal is like writing down little observations or Maybe you want to memorize a verse, and so you write that down. Because we know if you write a verse a certain amount of times, it's going to stick. It's going to stick. But the other thing you can do is write down little prayers. And so have a Bible and have a notebook close to you. Daniel had that. It seems like he had it because he woke up, and there in his room, he's like, I got to write this down. Sometimes you may have dreams that maybe God has given to you. I'm not going all weird and all this I'm just saying, sometimes he speaks to us in our dreams and he wakes you up and you're like, it's either God or it's late night pizza. I don't know, but I'm probably going to write this down anyways, because I need to, I want to remember that. God gives Daniel a dream and he saw visions as he laid in his bed and he wrote down the dream. And here it is. This is what he wrote. Verse two, in my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of the great sea. Okay, your translations probably say the four corners, like the winds from the four corners are blowing on the sea. We know that a strong wind blowing on the sea can be either a really good thing, if you like surfing, or a really bad thing, if you don't want your house flooded, right? So it's like, there's some really good things. This is from all corners of the earth, so to speak. It's blowing onto the sea. It's a great storm churning up the great sea. The great sea in, in this day, uh, w- was always a reference to the Mediterranean Sea. That's the great sea, okay? It's a beautiful sea. It is, it's a beautiful, beautiful sea. Absolutely beautiful. But here's the great sea. It's being churned up by these strong winds, with strong winds blowing from every direction. That's the four directions there, north, south, east, and west. Then it says, then four huge beasts came out of the water, each different from each other. Okay, so the significance of this, four beasts coming up out of this turbulent, chaotic scene. Essentially, what what we're talking about here is from the chaos comes the conquerors. From the chaos, the sea, the great sea, it's churned up like crazy. It's chaotic. It's chaotic. And from that chaos comes these four conquerors, is what it is. Um, I'll, I'll say this, the These four conquerors are the best that the world can do. And when I say the world, I'm meaning the the world partnered with Satan. The world as an an anti-Jesus kind of establishment. The best they can do is is given to us right here in Daniel chapter 7. These four uh, empires, so to speak, this is the best the world can do. And it's great. It's impressive. Make Make no mistake about it. But it's not as impressive as the end of, chap- of the chapter, all right? So out of the storm, out of the chaos, here comes four huge beasts. Verse four, the first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. That's, that's amazing. When I, when I see that, we know that the lion is considered the king of the beast, right? He's the king of the beast. I don't know why. Um, but he looks impressive. I've seen lions at the zoo. They're pretty lazy. 
Um, all they do is lay around, um, and it's the lionesses who go out and do everything, and then the lion, the main dude, you know, uh, he just kind of eats from their plunder, right? So, like, they get the animals, they find the food, bring it back, and he just makes babies and eats food. That's what he does, right? He's the king of the beasts, though, an impressive creature for sure. The other thing that's, that's fascinating about this, so you got the king of the beasts, but you also have him coupled with eagle's wings. So eagle is, is a very majestic type bird. What in the world? A lion with eagle's wings. Um, we know because we can just stay in the book of Daniel and we can figure out who these, who these creatures are. We know that um, because of earlier uh, interpretation and all that good stuff from Daniel, this is Babylon. And we know you can do, um, you can go do like a little archaeological study and all that good stuff. Babylon was symbolized by the lion, right? And it was considered a very powerful nation, and it certainly was. And the, the lion was like their mascot, okay? The Babylonian lions, that's who they were, right? And they were, they were dominant when they were at their best. So he's got these eagle's wings, and Daniel says, as I watched, the, the wings were plucked off. They were pulled off. And it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being. And it was given a human mind, right? So there's an event that takes place concerning this lion and his beautiful, majestic eagle's wings. Those wings are removed from him. So, well, what is that? Well, we, we know earlier from Daniel that there was a, a, an event that took place where, where Nebuchadnezzar was walking around his palace and was so impressed by all that he did and he ignored the warnings that God had given to him from Daniel. Because remember, he made this, he had a dream about a statue, a golden-headed statue. Well, that's Babylon. And Daniel even told him, like, that's, that's you. You're the golden head. That's Babylon. And then, you know, it transitions into uh, other types of metals and materials as you go down. Each one less valuable, but greater in strength as you get to the feet. Well, the feet are clay and iron mixed together, and they're, they're not strong at all. But Daniel had already let Nebuchadnezzar know about this. Nebuchadnezzar soon forgets about that and then has this great golden statue erected and then demands that everybody worship him. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, we're not going to do that. And so then they get tossed in the fire and then Jesus shows up. And then Nebuchadnezzar is like, hey, um, get those guys out of there uh, because there's a fourth one in the fire with them. And then Nebuchadnezzar makes this proclamation of like, the God you serve rescued you. The God you serve is like the one true God. Now, he's close to salvation, but he's not quite there yet. Then we know there's this other event that takes place. And Nebuchadnezzar tells the story himself in the book of Daniel where he's walking around the palace grounds and he's so impressed by how awesome he is and all the feats he's accomplished. And God humbles him on the spot, gives him a mind of an animal, so to speak. And for a certain amount of time, he was outside of the kingdom and he was in the fields eating grass like oxen and his hair grew long, his fingernails became all gnarly and he was like a beast. He was a lion who lost his wings. He was a lion who lost his wings. Still powerful, but just not as impressive. And so we know that took place. What's significant about that is after that humbling that Nebuchadnezzar went through, they didn't really conquer anymore. Militarily, they no, they no longer conquered. Now, he was close to the end of his life and all that good stuff, but he still had time. He still had might. He still had power. He still had all the armies. But after that humbling by God, he stopped conquering. 
He stopped conquering. And that's, that's the first beast. It's Babylon. Babylon's the first beast. Not Nebuchadnezzar, but Babylon is the first beast. And then Daniel sees the second beast, verse 5. The second beast, it looked like a bear. Bears are awesome. Bears are amazing creatures. It was rearing up on one side, or it was like one side was more elevated than the other, is technically what that means. And it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, get up, devour the flesh of many people. So here's the bear. And what we know about this is if you're just looking at the, the earlier dreams and visions and uh, interpretations and all that good stuff, the bear would naturally be the Medes and the Persians. Okay, it just flows all together. This is going to be the Medes and the Persians. Why is the bear on one side a little bit more elevated than the other? Because the Persians were stronger than the Medes. And that's what Daniel sees. He's like, there's a bear. And he's, he's kind of like, it's, I don't know, maybe he's got bad posture or something, but he, or this arm's just like jacked and this arm's pretty weak. Well, this is the Persian side, which is way stronger than the Mede side. And, and his, historically, we know that. So the three ribs in its mouth. Why is it walking around with three ribs in its mouth? Well, those are, uh, those are like empires, so to speak, that they had already conquered. They were conquering powerful, powerful army, for sure. Absolutely devastatingly powerful. They didn't move that fast. They're like a bear, although bears in nature, I mean, they're pretty fast. Like never try to run from a bear. I hope you know that. If you ever go hiking and you're where bears are present, never try to run from one. You, I shouldn't have to tell you that, but uh, just in case you never knew that, you will never outrun them. Never. But as far as like a bear compared to a lion, I don't know this for a fact, but I think a lion's got the bear. I don't know. If they do a race, maybe the lion beats the bear. I'm not too sure. This isn't about speed, though. This is about the strength of this animal, this bear who's massive. And, and God instructed this bear. I'm using the term bear there. It's the Medes and the Persians. God spoke to them and said, get up and conquer and devour. He was using the Medes and the Persians to accomplish his will on this planet. And the bear did just that. It was very powerful, but its rule and its reign came to an end as well. Third beast, third of these strange beasts appeared, verse six, and it looked like a leopard and it had four birds wings on its back and it had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. Okay. So here's the third one. Uh, and here's what we know about this third one, because so technically where we're at with this is um, as far as Daniel's concerned, he's still in the lion with the wing, though the, technically the lion's rule okay, in this vision. Because even though Nebuchadnezzar had died, his grandson and his son were still in charge. Babylon had not yet fallen. But in, you know, not too long from this, this dream, he would be waking up under the rule of the bear, so to speak, right? Because the bear, the Medes and the Persians were going to show up and they were going to take out and uh, overcome Babylon the Great. Well, it wouldn't be too long. So kind of after them that here comes Greece and here comes the leopard. The leopard uh, had conquered, man, the leopard conquered tremendous parts of this planet and with great speed. That's why it's a leopard. A leopard is super fast, right? It's very quick. And not only is it just a leopard, a leopard in and of itself is very fast, but then you put four bird's wings on its back and it becomes that much faster, right? And so what we know about 
this leopard and what it, you know, who it represents and all that good stuff with Greece and was it Alexander moved with swiftness and quickness. And he was, he himself was so impressed by how fast he conquered. I mean, he was conquering enemies that were many times greater than him and his armies, but he moved so fast. And that was the other thing is he was caught, he was catching enemies off guard because as they were gearing up and amassing their armies and all that stuff, here, here comes the, here comes the Greece army and, and they just, man, just show up out of nowhere and then wipe everybody out. And he even, um, Alexander even got like to this point where he was like depressed, so to speak, because he's like, there's nowhere else to conquer. I've conquered the world. Like he even conquered all the way over to India, areas of India. And I mean, he was just everywhere. It was impressive. However, what we know historically is that that guy died at an early age, very unexpectedly. And so when the ruler dies, then what do you do? Well, you assign the, uh, the rulership, so to speak, to the four generals. And isn't it fascinating that here's Daniel. He's not, he, he precedes the leopard. But God, in his wisdom, in his knowing, is like, oh yeah, Daniel, there's going to be this leopard-type army, type empire, He's going to have four heads, four heads, which symbolizes the four generals that take over once the main guy goes down. Isn't that fascinating? How, uh, how ironic? Well, I mean, like, my goodness, Daniel, that's, that's, that's so impressive. This is part of the reason why people believe that the book of Daniel is not like, wasn't written by Daniel. Because they're like, there's no way he could have known this. It had to be written by somebody who showed up at a much later date in order for him to know details like this. Well, I can understand that unless you're connected to God Almighty, who is all-knowing. And like the future is, is not the future for God. There is no like future for him. There's no real past for him either. He's above time and space. So he's not confined to our, you know, our parameters of, of past, present, and future. God's above and outside all of that. So for him to look hundreds of years down the road and, you know, for the most part and be like, oh yeah, Daniel, there's going to be a leopard. He's going to have four heads. He's got four wings. Alexander, yeah, that guy's going to rise up. He's going to rule. He's going to die. And they're going to divide out the kingdom and all that good stuff. Like, and even if that wasn't a hundred years, you know, per, you know, beyond this, this story itself, God knew exactly what was going to happen and when it was going to go down. I, I don't, I don't always understand why people have such a difficult time with that. But then the realization kind of kicks back up into my brain that oftentimes you're dealing with people who don't actually see the Bible as the word of God. They look at it as purely as like a a historical book. It's a historical book that is somewhat accurate is what they would say. When I approach the word of God, I approach it as the spoken word of God. Like it came from him. I believe that there was a real man named Daniel who was taken captive as a teenager from Jerusalem and brought to Babylon. I believe that he, he rose within the ranks of Babylon because he was a faithful man. He was an intelligent man, but the spirit of God was with him and he used him tremendously. I believe that Daniel, being a real person, uh, saw real dreams and real visions and these things he saw, I believe, I personally hold fast to the fact that 
These things are factual. And what he saw was exactly what God showed him. So I'm not surprised by like, wow, Alexander, like they hadn't even shown up on the scene yet, but they would. God has no problem with predicting the future because it's all in his hands. So here's this, this third beast. It's, it's a leopard. It's swift. It's, it's fast moving. It's very powerful. It's conquering the known world, all that good stuff. It's doing exactly what, what the Bible said it was going to do. And then it even gets down to the fact that it doesn't have just one head. It has four heads. And lo and behold, that empire lost their ruler, and then they divided it out four ways. I mean, this is just another proof text to me that you can trust your Bible. Like, what's in here that you can't trust? What's in here that we can't rely on? I mean, it's, God's just so, like, just accurate. It's amazing. It's amazing. But here we come to the fourth beast, and here's the, the focus of this chapter. Like I said, the other beast, if you're like, well, I want to know more, there's more to be known concerning each of the first three, for sure. And we'll get into that as we go on throughout the rest of Daniel. But as far as Daniel chapter 7 is concerned, the fourth beast is, one, is the one we want to pay attention to. So verse 7, then in my, in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had 10 horns. So, I mean, automatically we know like this thing is a, it's a beast that Daniel has like never seen before. As far as we know, I mean, he's like lion with wings, uh, with eagle's wings, very specific, bear, ribs in his mouth, leopard, and four wings on its back, four-headed leopard with four wings on his back. Like he's describing animals, and he's describing attributes of animals pretty clearly. When you get to the fourth beast, fourth beast he's like, I don't know, it's a monster. I think it's a monster. So they said dragon, which is, I get it. You go to Revelation, you, you'll see that, yeah, that there could be some truth to that. But when I look at this, all I see is it's a monster. It's a monster. He says it's terrifying, it's dreadful, very strong, strong adjectives he's using here to describe this beast. It devoured and it crushed its victim with its huge iron teeth. And then we're like, iron teeth? There was iron in that statue. Oh yeah, in his toes, right? The iron mixed with the clay and the leg, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah, this fourth beast is Rome. It's Rome. And it's, you're like, well, Rome has already come and gone. That empire is done. Well, not the revived Roman Empire. There is the revived Roman Empire that's probably actually in the works right now. Um, yes, I know this, this Rome that oftentimes we think about, it ruled for so long. I mean, actually, Rome ruled for longer than any other empire on this nation. And it was way more powerful than any other nation, uh, any other empire on this, this nation. Rome was amazingly powerful and just absolutely just crushing everybody for like a thousand years, like just ruling, like reigning. This monster is, is devouring people. It's trampling them beneath its feet. It's different from any other beast. And here's the thing. It had these 10 horns, 10 horns. Again, we're going to get into the more specifics of the 10 horns, which could be the 10 other rulers with it. We know in, in Rome, there were um, the number 10 is pretty significant, whether it be the 10 mountains and you got 10 different rulers and all that good stuff. 
So yeah, it is one monster with ten horns. Ten horns speaking of power. Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're walking through the book of Daniel together, and it's quite an interesting book to cover. From fiery furnaces to strange visions to having a faith that goes against society enough to be thrown to the lions, the book of Daniel is anything but boring. In fact, we hope your faith is spurred on because of what you read and learn in this book. If you need to hear this message again or would like to catch up on previous teachings, visit our website at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Listen tab and feel free to explore a variety of verse-by-verse Bible-based teachings. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary in Galveston. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come and visit. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Our Wednesday night Bible study starts at 7 p.m. You're welcome to join us anytime. Our atmosphere at Calvary Galveston is relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. For more information, visit breadforthebroken.com. You can also get directions there. We're excited to meet you and spend time in worship with you. That's all the time that we have for today, but we're so glad that you listened in to hear from God's Word. We encourage you to read ahead in the book of Daniel and gear up for what's ahead in this prophetic book. It's almost like a roller coaster ride where you're not sure what's around the next corner, but what you'll come to find out is rather thrilling, right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.